0: Welcome everyone to this week's episode of the Money Mentors Podcast. My name is Glenn Fairburn and I'm here with my co-host Nathan Lear. Our, our objective is to increase financial literacy and awareness. Um, the start of the year has been a bit of a rocky road for the share market. Um, technically the US market went into a bit of a correction where it's fallen um, at, at one stage around 10%. We've had a little bit of a recovery but still down somewhat. Um, so this week we thought we'd have a bit of a discussion about the impact of the downturn what's in store are we are we headed for a, a bigger correction or, or a bear market um, and what you can do about it as always this is of a general nature so please seek independent advice um, hope you enjoy the podcast
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome again to another episode of the Money Mentors podcast. So, Glenn, to to kick off the conversation today, um, there has been a, a fair bit of volatility in the share market over the past uh, several weeks. Um, in fact, the, the US market actually did fall 10% from high to low. So, this is a, a technical correction when a market falls over 10%. Um, obviously, did get people a little bit concerned. Hopefully, not everybody. Um, the Australian market is not immune, like the rest of the world is, when the US market falls. So, our Australian market was also down somewhere around six percent over the basically the course of a, yeah. a week or so. Um, so, uh, obviously, you know these corrections can be a normal part of investing. But before we kind of delve into that a bit deeper, I thought we'd just have a bit of, a bit of a chat about what what spooked the market, so w- why these falls happen. So what's your interpretation of yeah, that? Yeah, I, th- I
0: think it's interesting and probably more interesting for, for a lot of um, sort of neutral observers of the market in that the corrections, of the correction more recently, but I think the volatility in the market um, over a more, sh- more, to, more longer term period, like over the last six months, um, the correction was ultimately driven by good economic news out of the US. So I think there was, you know, really strong employment data And I suppose the outcome of that good news is there's the expectation that the Federal Reserve, so the US Central Bank, will start raising interest rates. Um, And I suppose that's been concerning for a lot of share investors over the last few years, where um, theoretically, as interest rates start to rise, um, that that may impact the valuations of share, just with the way that shares are valued and and, and so forth, that that may impact the market so that as the Federal Reserve progressively increases rates, depending on how frequently they do that and how large those increases are, that that might, you know, stretch the market somewhat.
1: Yep, yep, definitely. So, so just on the on the data that kind of did trigger this little uh, correction, so US unemployment is, is at a 17-year low. So, very low unemployment. So,
0: pretty good news, isn't it? Yeah, if good, you're looking at it from an economic perspective.
1: Yeah, that's what you think. Um, and wage growth is at its strongest level since 2009. So, the, the US over the last almost 10 years has had very low wage growth, yeah. which generally isn't seen as being inflationary.
0: That's sort of been one of the concerns with their economy, hasn't it? In that, obviously, they've got low unemployment, which is good but that people aren't earning as much money. Like there hasn't been increases in salaries, which probably isn't as good for consumption and so forth.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I think, yeah, what you said a moment ago is exactly right. Um, And the market is a little bit, I guess, spooked that with inflation looking to increase, the Federal Reserve to combat higher inflation may start to rise rates. And then as that happens, as they rise their interest rates, um, typically, money may flow out of equities into yeah. other income-producing investments. So, it can it can be, as you said, it's it's good for the economy, but it's sometimes it, the reaction of the market can be a little, like forward-looking, yeah. can be a bit different. I
0: think the market, what the market doesn't like, is surprises, um, and obviously the Federal Reserve is not going to come out and say, look, we're going to increase rates by twenty-five basis points each quarter for the next year they're not they they generally don't do that people make assumptions based on comments that different members of the federal reserve make but that's what the market doesn't like is that uncertainty Um, but i suppose if you look at what's happened last year i think they did four rate rises last year Um, so as i was saying i think the reason for the correction is that people get spooked obviously with that data people try and uh, make judgment calls based on that. And then it can almost become a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy in a lot of ways where the market falls, people get a little bit concerned, it falls a little bit more, then a little bit of panic sets in. And that's where you get that, I suppose, significant reduction in the short term because everyone's trying to beat a major downturn. Um, do you think that's sort of the reason that, in that it's it sort of becomes... Um, Almost like a that herd mentality where everyone starts following what everyone else is doing. Yeah,
1: definitely. We're going to talk a little bit later about you know, could 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 worse be coming, um, which is very hard to predict. But I think the good thing about this little correction is that it was quite it was quite quick. Um, yeah, there was a kind of a week or so where the market had a bit of a sharp fall, but it's already recouped or recovered a lot of that ground. And
0: that's been pretty common, hasn't it? Like if you look at the corrections over the last few years, I think you've got some information Mm. there. Um, I mean, the most recent one was probably leading up to the US election where the market fell, recovered pretty quickly. Um, But probably Brexit was the other one, which was more of a, you could argue, a geopolitical type event Mm. where where the UK voted to exit the EU. The market fell substantially in one day. But then within two weeks, it was back up again. So the market seems to be reacting fairly quickly and recovering fairly quickly. In response to a lot of these events,
1: yeah, a point I wanted to make is that these types of corrections are very normal. So don't be alarmed if the market has a period where it falls 10% quickly. Because if you go back through and we can use some of the examples over the past several years, it is very common. Uh, Markets do this, they generally go up over a longer period of time, but they have periods where they um, they go down and bounce up quickly it's just it's a normal part of investing in in, in, yeah. in share or share market or shares um, so maybe just to to look at some of the, I mean you just mentioned a couple well probably the biggest one was the, uh, the, the 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 most latest one so from basically from 2015 to early 2016 the market fell almost uh, 20% percent
0: yeah. Yeah, that was a really big, early 2016. And yeah, the people, market hit a low.
1: people forget, and that was quite a, obviously 20% is quite a big, close to 20%. It's a big fall, isn't it? Well,
0: technically, as you were saying earlier, technically a correction is when a market falls 10% and then it enters bear market territory in excess of 20%. So we're very close to entering that bear market. People talk about the fact that the US in particular has been on a record sort of bull market, but we have had a lot of corrections mm-hmm. along the way. And as you said early. 2016, late 2015, it was very close to almost entering bear market territory, even though it was, you know, the recovery was quite rapid.
1: So, 2014, the market fell 8% um, from over, a had a little correction of 8%. It was up for the year, but 2013, there was an 11%, 11% correction. 2012, there was a 10% correction. So, these things happen a lot, even when. The, in years where the market's positive, there can be yeah. corrections within those years. Do
0: you think the GFC is still pretty fresh in people's minds, and they're almost waiting and expecting for that? You know, quite sharp fall. Because I've had conversations with a few clients recently, and they've said, "Us, you know, is there a downturn coming?" And my response to that was, "Well, a downturn's inevitable at some stage. Like if you look, all you can do is look throughout history and see how the markets have performed. Although that's not a." Great guy, you know, it, it's somewhere to start. Um, and on average, there's a downturn every seven years. But 80% of the time, the market's still going up. So is it really worthwhile worrying about a downturn? One, as you were saying, the, the, the recovery is usually quite rapid. But secondly, if you were to sit and look at your portfolio today and think, oh, there's a market downturn coming, maybe I'll cash out. The danger is that the market keeps going up. And although there is a downturn, maybe you've missed out on gains between now and the point of that downturn. so is it really worth trying to predict mm-hmm. a major correction i don't
1: th- I think it's yeah you it's, know. A, it's almost impossible and I think we're going to talk at, towards the end of this podcast about some a couple of kind of measures techniques you can look to adopt to try and protect yourself against these things but we've spoken before many times about making invest we've done a podcast on should you make investment predictions and it's very difficult to do, yeah, almost impossible. Um, so just in terms of this recent little correction we had where, you know, say that the US market fell about 10% from high to low, it's already recovered some of that. But to put it in context, um, last year was a, a gangbuster year for the US market increasing around 25% over the 2017 calendar year. So to put it in, in, in perspective, it's just given back a little bit of ground, you're, you're hasn't st- it? You're
0: still up. I mean, if, if you were to say, you know, this time last year, oh, we're going to get a 15% net return, you'd probably be pretty happy with that. And I, I don't think the media um, does investors any favours or, or just the general observer any favours. I mean, all, all you see on the, on the news, on the front pages, oh, the market's lost $50 billion. But as we've said so many times, just because the market falls doesn't mean you're actually losing money. You're only locking in that loss if you sell, and on the flip side, when the market recovers, we don't hear anything. So, I think it's just that sort of human nature where we're drawn to bad news stories, aren't we?
1: Yeah, definitely. No, it's human nature. That that I think that's how we're wired as humans to. Well, I think you know,
0: it, it th- mm. many many times I've heard that we're probably more fit, f- uh, fearful of loss than we're optimistic about gain. So people are more concerned about losing money than perhaps um, looking for opportunities to make money.
1: Yeah the 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 loss the the events where you experience loss um stick in your mind a lot more yeah stronger than, than yeah. the gains people so as you said earlier people don't forget the the GFC experience yeah. where they had shares they might have they might have seen a 50% fall from high to low and they they're fearful of that happening again
0: yeah and as I was saying earlier I mean on average there's a downturn every 7 years but that doesn't mean that it's a GFC like downturn when the market's fall 50 percent i mean that that's a fairly um uncommon downturn isn't it i mean the corrections usually aren't that substantial even though we've had a few throughout history of that magnitude mm.
1: definitely definitely so so this uh event was sparked by by some information or data out of the u.s um is this the start of something worse how would you answer that as i was saying i mean i think it's
0: almost impossible to predict like it to, to try and predict economic outcomes or market outcomes over a 12-month period is, is near on impossible because there's, there's, there's going to be something that we don't think is going to happen now. I mean, last year, everyone was fearful about North Korea and the world moving into war and things like that. That was affecting markets, and now we don't even hear about that anymore. Um, so there's always going to be something on the horizon that we can't predict right now. Um, and in the end, I suppose one of the things to look at is that if you look at market performance in the last fifty years, how many how many geopolitical events have there been? How many economic downturns have they there been? We've had multiple wars, we've had multiple you know economic events, but in the end, the markets have still mm-hmm. gone up. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not abnormal to experience those sorts of events. Um, and and I I just personally don't think it's worth worrying about short-term market movements so long as you've got the structures in place to protect yourself um, and so long as you're not forced into a corner where you're forced to sell when the markets are down because we've seen how rapidly markets recover. So if if you're not selling during that, during that downturn and you can sort of ride through that volatility, then really the impact's negligible. Mm, I think
1: the difficulty with, with this situation in the US that's just happened is the positive data... Is firstly the share markets and economies don't don't track in line. They're not they're correlated. Almost, they're
0: almost um, inverse relationship, aren't they?
1: They're almost you could argue negatively correlated in a, in a way. So the market you know is, is interpreting strong economic news as a bad thing for shares for the reasons yeah. we spoke about earlier. Um, I, I think generally speaking, the trend. I mean, is this a start of something worse? As we've said, very hard to know. But I think. Generally, the trend in the US is, is still pretty strong. We've obviously had the rebound since the GFC some years ago. You know, we've had the tax cuts coming through, which is you know, improving um, well, hopefully many things for the US economy. And that's
0: a good point with the tax cuts because everyone's talking about the fact that valuations are quite high at the moment. Um, but I think the reason for that is that as an investor, you're more willing to pay a premium for for an asset if you're going to get more earnings growth so it's like paying a dollar today. You might be getting a low income this year, but if you've got you know, good growth, then perhaps you're willing to pay a premium. So I think that um, I, I don't know the answer to this question, but you know, the markets have obviously done really, really well. Valuations look high, but is the market taking into account the impact of the tax cuts? I mean, the company tax rate in the US has gone from 35% to like around 20%. So that's a substantial cut. And I mean... The the layman in me thinks that, okay, if companies have more cash because they're paying less tax, does that mean they can increase dividends, which ultimately ends up in the hands of consumers? Does that mean that they're going to invest more in capital equipment? Does that stimulate the economy?
1: Pay their staff more, maybe. Pay their staff Which stimulates the economy as well. Buy back
0: more shares, which pushes up share values. So, I mean, I just don't know whether the market's already pricing in these things. Um, But for every bad news story, there's a good news story. And, and, and that's where I would say that just because you read an economist or, or market observer's belief that things are going bad, if you, if you did the work, you could find just as many stories about the markets going well. So which one do you believe? It's very, very difficult. But I think that you're more likely to find bad news stories than good news stories, just the way the, the media world operates.
1: Sure, sure. So how how do let's have a a, a bit of a chat around how do we protect our portfolio position your portfolio against further falls perhaps or you know mitigate against the impact of a another let's say let's say we're not making predictions but let's say it got a little bit worse like there was further falls yeah what's some advice that you would um, suggest to our listeners
0: i think the advice that we always give our clients is to construct portfolios and put together investment strategies that are specific to your situation. And more often than not, the outcome there is that our clients end up with a fairly well diversified portfolio. So having a reserve in cash, having some fixed interest, having some Australian international shares, but also some property. So the advantage of having that diversified portfolio is that arguably you have a smoother return over time because all asset classes don't move in the same direction at one time. So you might have a situation where, you know, the equity market's doing really well, but maybe property's underperforming. So if you've got both of those, you're going to get a return somewhere in the middle. So the advantage of having a diversified portfolio is that if there is a market downturn in regards to shares, the impact of that downturn is minimized because you're not putting all your money into shares. Um, So if you've got half of your money invested in the share market and it falls 50%. Well, the impact is 25% compared to having all of your money invested in shares and, and the impact 50% from a 50% downturn. So I think that diversification is probably the first thing um, just, to, just to manage your exposure to equities but also, and also minimize the impact of a downturn. So I think it's probably, that's probably what the first thing that I'd be suggesting is having a well-diversified portfolio Specific to what your needs are.
1: Okay, so you, you've got that. You've done. You've done the right thing. Whether you did that ten years ago or three weeks ago, before or a, a month ago, before the market had a fall, it's it's had a fall. Mm-hmm. What, what would you suggest? we we'll
0: stick to the strategy. So, what? Let's just say you, you you know you sat down with an advisor or you've constructed a portfolio, and for argument's sake, you've got fifty percent of your money in fixed interest, fifty percent in shares. That. Strategies put together specific to what your situation is and what you need to achieve. Now, unless your situation changes, that target asset allocation shouldn't change. So that in the event of a market downturn, and let's just say the market fell fifty percent using using you know round figures, then theoretically your portfolio asset allocation should now be seventy five percent fixed interest because in dollar terms that hasn't changed, and twenty five percent Australian shares. So what do you do in that situation? Well, if you're sticking to your strategy and and your strategy is 50% into each of those asset classes, then what you should be doing in that situation is rebalance or reweight from fixed interest back into shares. So the advantage there is that you're taking your portfolio back to what your um, target investment strategy is, but also as a long-term investor, you're buying at, at a depressed value. So arguably, you're picking up opportunities at, 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 at good
1: prices and as the market has been rising over, like last year for example the US market was up 25% you, you do the opposite in a rising market you've been you've been locking in that profit so you've been doing well perhaps off shares you're locking in that profit and uh, crystallizing it and moving it elsewhere so this might be the opposite in a down market so but, but as you said if you've got I think if you've got a strategy and you've got a plan in place, And the portfolio set up according to your objectives. A correction, I don't want to be flippant when I say this, but I'm not too concerned. If the market goes down 10%, I know my portfolio can handle it and I've got an action plan in place. Whether or not I take action straight away, I mean, a 10% form might relative to your whole portfolio
0: might not be that much, might not
1: require change. That's right. Um, But let's say it got to a, a stage where you did need to take action. I know my portfolio has, say, liquidity or the ability to. Buy a company share that might have fallen, so it's opportunity. It, it? it is,
0: but it also requires discipline, because what 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 happens, you know, in a market downturn, people do get fearful, and and even though their portfolio is telling them to reweight, they probably think, well, oh, you know, I don't want to buy more shares now. The market's going they time, down. They time it exactly. They time the market. That, that's exactly right, and that's what I wanted to say. Rebalancing, which is what we're talking about is not timing markets. It's not picking a top and it's not picking a bottom. The portfolio will tell you what you need to do. You don't have to even be aware of what's happening in the market. The portfolio will tell you what has to happen with, you know, with regards to reweighting across different, um, different asset classes. But as I was saying, it takes discipline. You've got to take the emotion out of it. You've got to take the fear or the greed out of it as well. Um, and just stick to the strategy. Now, that doesn't mean you're rebalancing every day because obviously the cost there would be quite significant. I mean, theoretically, you hear a lot of um, studies say that you know, probably any more than two years, twice a year is, is, isn't worth it. Um, but I think that is really dependent on how mm. volatile the market is. Like yeah. if you've got swings of 10 and 20%, mm. maybe you're rebalancing a lot more frequently. But I, I don't think we would ever advocate just doing rebalancing for very small you know, um, discrepancies across um, portfolios.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think the the main issue is that most people don't have that plan in place. So mm-hmm. when when the fear sets in, when the, the headlines are saying, whatever it was, X amount of billion dollars wiped off the market, people just panic. Yeah. And, and if w- we've got a discipline plan, strategy behind it for our clients. We kind of know how to react. And I think, the, the general population don't, don't have
0: that. Well, everyone's trying to time markets. And as you said, people just get fearful. They, they see the headlines, they see the sea of red, and they just get fearful. But one question I was going to ask you, um, just in relation to constructing portfolios, there is a school of thought um, by advisors and, and market observers that maybe you should have you know, two years of cash set aside in your portfolio so that if there is a downturn, you're not forced to sell to meet like just let's just say for example you're a retiree um you're drawing an amount each year from your portfolio or your, or your super fund um and and you're, you're fearful or you're concerned about a downturn or even just setting up your portfolio longer term there is a school of thought that you should have at least 12 months but ideally two years of of um your income need in cash what, what's your sort of thought about that strategy
1: uh, my first thought is it depends like what's the size of your portfolio how, how much are you drawing i mean generally we we do a little bit differently where um you know we look at the level of income coming Correct. in and yeah. what what the yeah. people are drawing out yeah and, and that's so, that's sort
0: of what my thought was that in particular in the current interest rate environment, do you really want to be having a substantial amount in cash um and you know as we quite often recommend from our perspective. An alternative to that is to construct portfolios with solid levels of income. So the advantage of, di- of investing direct into asset classes, so if you want to invest in shares, buy direct shares. If you want to invest in property, buy direct property and fixed interest is that when you're looking at your portfolio, well, one, you know what you own, but secondly, if you're investing in the right type of assets, you can more accurately predict what that income is going to be. And, and we saw even during the GFC and even in the more recent Corrections, income didn't change. I mean, the good quality companies, good quality properties, and good quality fixed interest just because the markets had a downturn doesn't mean they're cutting their income. So, if you can construct a portfolio um, with good solid income and, and that income is aligned to what your requirements are, then I would argue why do you need two years of cash when the cash flow that's coming through the portfolio is enough to meet your needs? And you'll always have a cash reserve anyway. Let's just say it's between 3 and 5%. So arguably, that should be sufficient. I just don't think under the, if, if you're going down that, what we would believe a superior sort of portfolio construction model, do you really need two, two years of cash? Because it, it can really just be a drag on performance.
1: Yeah, I agree with everything you said there. I think manage it according to the level of income it generates. Record low interest rate environment, you don't want, too much cash at hand. I mean, that could two years' worth of worth of uh, worth of uh, income could be you know.
0: thousands of dollars in lost income, couldn't it?
1: Well, yeah, but it could be in terms of actually dollars in cash. It could be like well over a hundred yeah, thousand dollars. Right. And how much could that hundred thousand dollars generate in income per year? Yeah. What, what's the opportunity cost? What are your What are you forgoing? Which is what you said. Yeah. So,
0: but I think as I was saying, that situation works under how we would prefer to invest. But if if you're Um, super fund or your investment strategy has a lot of managed funds or unitized type products where the income isn't as predictable because if you're investing in an Australian share fund, um, I suppose one of the downsides of that is that, one, you don't really see each individual company that you're investing in but ultimately, it's the fund manager that determines what the distributions are. So for the portfolio that they're managing, they may receive a certain level of cash flow and dividends but they then determine what they pay out. So you're not in control of that cash outcome. So if you've got a portfolio that's primarily managed funds and, and unlisted type structures, maybe then you have to have a little bit more cash because if there's a downturn, who's to say that the, the, the fund managers won't cut distributions at all or not pay any distributions at all? So that's the risk for those um, investors that are primarily investing in you know, unitized type structures, even if it's a, an industry super fund. Um, you're not getting the same cash flow predictability as what you would do if you're investing direct into assets.
1: Sure. So, so would, you, would you offer any other advice? We've spoken about having a strategy, having a plan, ha- rebalancing your portfolio as you need to. Is, is there any other yeah, advice look, or comments you'd offer? I suppose
0: mention? rebalancing is only possible if you've got liquidity. So what I mean by liquidity is that you've got access or your own investments that you can cash in pretty quickly. There's no point having a fixed interest um, part of your portfolio that's all term deposits locked away for 12 months that you can't get access to because you're not going to be able to rebalance. So that's where within each asset class, it's important to um, diversify within the asset class. So within your fixed interest, maybe you're looking, yes, at term deposits, but maybe some mortgage investments, maybe some listed bonds, um, other listed type of fixed interest assets, or shorter dated term deposits, or things like that, so that if there's a downturn, you've actually got the capacity to rebalance. Because rebalancing only works if you actually do it. Um, so that, that's probably the only other thing that I had um, is making sure that you've actually got the ability to rebalance if there is a downturn.
1: Yeah, very important, extremely important. You need to you need to be able to get that liquidity or access to cash when the market falls. Otherwise, um, it's no, it's no good to you, is it? Um, a couple of other maybe just reinforcing a couple of principles that we we abide by in terms of um in, investing let's go through a couple of things but um i mean we, we always say in, invest don't speculate so i think that you know that we have spoken about that a little bit already with timing i mean that is kind of in a way you're speculating what's going to happen so invest in good quality assets whatever they are um, and stick to the plan um we have spoken about ignoring the noise i mean try to turn off the the, the headlines as much as you can because it can just drive emotion yep, definitely. and poor decision-making. Um, I mean, we're, we long, long ter- think long-term. Basically, any, any good investor, in my opinion anyway, has a long-term view, horizon. Um, you know, you're not making decisions based on what the share price has done in a couple of months. And a good example of that is if you had have invested the day before the market had this 10% correction, is that company a ten percent less better company yeah, than it was really changed the day before? Week. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, don't 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 follow the herd. Um, the herd mentality, I think you mentioned earlier, Glenn, can easily kick in when markets go down, you know, like we've seen with things like Bitcoin, where people just want to jump on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and probably, I mean, we're we're just ad- advocates of, of, of long-term investing and invest now. I mean, there's no. If you've got the cash at hand um, and you can put it to use in whatever asset class that might might be, um, just, just get it working yeah, for don't, you. Yeah,
0: don't be too worried about stories that you hear that markets look fully stretched and there's, you know, valuations are high because the fact is, yeah, they might be high now and maybe we do go through a downturn but over the next 10 years, there's a pretty strong chance that it's going to go up and that, that's what I was going to say with regards to um, sort of ignoring the noise and investing now is that with investing, not speculating, with investing where you're picking good quality assets, it actually pays off to be optimistic because as I was saying, if you're optimistic about markets, you're going to be right 80% of the time because 80% of the time the markets go up. Um, if you're always pessimistic and you're always sitting on the sidelines, you're going to miss out because you know the, the returns that you mentioned before um, you know, the market's done 15, 20% in the last 12 months in the US. That's not progressive. That's not 1% every month. That's some months flat, some months down, other months up 5%. So if you're in and out of the market and you miss out on that one month, that could be, you know, a third or, or, or a half of the total return for that year that you're missing out on. So it doesn't pay to sit on the sidelines. It pays to invest and take a long-term view.
1: Most, most definitely. Okay, Glenn. Well, I think that's a, a good opportunity to to wrap up the conversation. So, just to quickly recap, we um, we ha- having a discussion around the the little, I guess, pullback correction on the uh, on the US market, which kind of filtered through to the the rest of the world um, with some corrections. Um, we we spoke about what what caused that correction, which was mainly good economic data. Um, had had a, a chat around that corrections are. Pretty common, like even in in a rising bull market, ten percent corrections are very common. So don't be too too afraid if you see them. Um, Kind of hypothesised around what might happen in the future, and it's very hard to know what that holds in terms of for investment markets. Um, and then to, to finish off, we spoke about how you can protect your portfolio um, around you know, having, a, having a plan, having a strategy, rebalancing and a couple of other key principles to, to try to adopt. So thanks again for joining us and look forward to having you next week. Thanks
0: again, everyone, for listening to this week's episode. Um, please remember, as always, to visit our sponsor, Hewson Private Wealth's website, um, www.hewelson.com.au. You can also find us via the various social media platforms, so via Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter by just searching Hewilson Private Wealth. Um, We'd also really appreciate your reviews, um, ratings, comments, and and to subscribe on on iTunes. Um, Once again, hope you enjoyed the podcast and look forward to speaking to you all again next week.